welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. Now, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Novik Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ovori. Today, we are once again talking about Web3 and mobile. As listeners well know, we have done multiple episodes on this topic. Uh you know, the subject of bringing Web3 to mobile. And absolutely everyone who we've had on the show has, and who's been involved in these efforts, has found it very challenging and very difficult in multiple ways. There is, of course, the 30% Apple and Google App Store tax. There are their stances on crypto, which, to put it mildly, are a little bit unfriendly. There are their positions on NFTs and digital ownership, which, if implemented as they are demanding, go completely against the ethos of Web3, decentralization, and digital ownership. And then there, of course, is the Byzantine App Store review process, which is especially tough for Web3 apps. In many cases, it's hard, and in some cases, impossible to be a developer and actually bring your vision, your Web3 experience to a mobile audience, at least through the traditional avenues available to us. And of course, at the same time, we all surely recognize that our mobile device is now the primary gateway into our digital lives, whether it be for payments or banking or gaming or any other number of use cases. Mass market adoption of Web3 will not and cannot happen until mobile becomes a viable pathway for consumers to get into Web3. But what to do if the primary mobile gatekeepers, Apple and Google, will not or cannot open that gate for Web3? Well, you can do what Solana has done. And that is you can build your own phone. Solana, as we know, is one of the top layer ones out there. Uh, they have recently launched the Saga phone, which is the world's first mobile device that treats Web3 as a first-class citizen. These are their words. The device was announced last summer with pre-orders starting around that time. And then the device hit public availability uh, recently on May 8th of this year. So just a couple of weeks ago as of the time of this recording. And as a Web3 developer, and as somebody who has struggled with the uh, path to mobile and to the mass market, I wanted to learn more about how the Saga phone works, what it does, what it's intended to do, and why Solana went down the path of building their own hardware. And so to tell us more about the Saga phone, our guest on the pod today is Laura Shen, who runs marketing for Solana Mobile. Laura, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me, Nico. That was quite an intro. Stole Absolutely. a lot of this already. We are going to go into all of that, um, and we're going to start right away. So let's get into the first question here. And uh, I think it would be helpful for our audience to kind of get a 30,000-foot aerial view of what the Saga phone is, what it's intended to be, uh, why build a crypto-first phone, why does the Saga phone matter? Yeah, you, you packed quite a few questions in there. So let's start the, from the, the top. So Saga, uh, like you said, it was announced last summer, and we um, officially launched it in April. But what Saga is, it is a custom made, it's built from ground up. It's a premier uh, flagship quality Android device with built in crypto functionality. So there are two parts. So it is a flagship device. So we can talk about all the specs and all the, um, the services that you are already familiar with. But I want to focus on the crypto side, which is what we call the Solana Mobile Stack that's currently built onto the phone. So what Solana Mobile Stack is, it is our set of solutions, and they're all software, so software solutions, to answer a lot of the questions or pain points that's currently existing in crypto. And the reason we started with that is I don't know if uh, you you, you or the audience of the pod already know that Anatoly, the founder of Solana, worked um, a long time at Qualcomm. And when he was talking to some of the developers at uh, Breakpoint in two, uh, uh, 2021, a lot of them mentioned to him that one of their pain points was that exactly what you said. They want to build for mobile, but they don't have distribution channels and they have a hard time uh, getting their um, apps into the Dapp Store. And that's why they are focusing on desktop. They are kind of chained to desktop. So Anatoly started thinking about what is the solution to help 
ease those problems? So the answers are twofold. One is the seed vault, which is a um, secure enclave um, and hardware enabled a secure key um, storage on your phone. So that solves a secure security and um, and, uh, and and safety uh, challenge of uh, interacting with keys on your phone. And the other is we built something called the Solana Dapp Store, which is an alternative publishing platform for Web3 and crypto applications that are building on blockchain. So that's those are the two pieces that are consumer facing that makes up the the Solana mobile stack. So that's what I meant by software um, solutions to the uh, Web3 pain points. So you asked, why do we need to build hardware? And that is a very fair point. Uh, And that's probably the (laughs) one question that we get asked the most is why Solana has to build hardware. Uh, why can't you just build the Solana mobile stack and wait and hand it off to some um, OEM or some existing partners that to just integrate into their devices? So two reasons. One is when you are, um, we, we like this quote saying, basically saying, if you are serious about building software, you need to be building your hardware because all software are running on hardware. So we... It was before my time, but when the team was contemplating what is the best form factor to integrate the Solana mobile stack with, we realized that we actually need to have our own phone and we have to integrate seamlessly the Solana mobile stack and the hardware. So that is why the team went down the hardware route. And we were very lucky that we found a team, um, a partner called Awesome, O-S-O-M, and they're a team with very, very solid and long uh, experiences building hardware. So we partnered with them and they were luckily already building a premier hardware. So that was kind of a partnership made in heaven. So we worked with them to bring uh, users a hardware device that's premier quality, flagship quality, seamlessly integrated integrated with a Solana mobile stack. So that's what came about. And the second reason we kind of had to go down this custom route is if you don't already have a proven product, it's really hard to get the existing OEMs to work with you. Um, So we decided to go down this route to prove that this is something that there is product market fit, there's um, existing need, and um, it solves pain points for users for us to later on potentially get this technology onto all devices. Our long-term goal is that we should get at least a billion people self-custody. We want afford people the benefit of self-custodying. And it's really hard for us to imagine that um, the, your mobile phone, the, the one artifact, I don't know about other people, but the one artifact that I probably touch most in my daily life, we can't imagine that this not being part of the solution. So in short, um, we went down this route because we want to, in our first iteration, build that end-to-end best Web3 experience that we can imagine and bring that to market as our test ground. That's a great answer. Um, I know I asked a lot of questions, so you um, you answered a lot of questions, and I appreciate that. So we're going to dig into uh, a few pieces in there um, and just go a little bit deeper. So that was a great overview of you know why hardware, um, why the phone, and what have you done to, to make it Web3 friendly. Um, and I'm going to dig into both of the, the pieces there, which I think are really important. You, you touched on them, but I want to go a little bit deeper. Um, and so the first one uh, in the Solana mobile stack, or SMS for short, uh, not short messaging service, but Solana mobile stack. Um, <laughs> the first component there is the, the seed vault, um, which as I understand it is, you know, that's, that's the piece of the phone that essentially turns your phone into a crypto hardware wallet that securely stores your seed phrase. Um, hopefully that's a pr- about the right understanding. And then the second piece that that makes this a Web3 first uh, device is the DApp Store, which I believe stands for Decentralized mm-hmm. App Store. Uh, and that's your mm-hmm. own Web3 App Store that run, uh, runs alongside the Google Play Store because it's an Android device. Um, so yeah. it doesn't replace it, but it runs alongside it. So let's talk a little bit more about both of those components. So let's start with the Seed Vault. Um, what is the problem that that you said it's a security piece, but tell our listeners more about what is it actually doing? How is it solving uh, the security problem? How, how do I know as a user that my 
uh, seed phrase um, is secure, and actually mm-hmm. I can trust the device uh, to to store it securely. And then we'll talk about the DAP store next. But let's start with that component because that's really that's really the key to self custody. Is correct. That's it. That's the absolute the whole ball game right there. Correct. And that is why it absolutely has to be a piece of hardware because that piece of technology is written onto the chip. So let me probably um, step back one second to talk about why we wanted to do this hardware-backed seed um, security, uh, seed storage. So if you think about before seed vault, there are essentially two large camps of um, uh, crypto wallets. So you either have your very secure hardware wallet or you have a hot wallet that it a software wallet, right? There's like nothing in between. So let's take a look at both. Um, so the hardware wallet, it's very secure. We all know we trust them, but the user experience is very difficult. If you want to interact with a hardware wallet, you essentially have to pull out your computer, uh, plug in your, your hardware wallet, or you pair it with your phone through Bluetooth and half of the time that does not necessarily work. And then you have to click the little buttons on your hardware wallet and then uh, click um, click uh, approve. And then it's just a somewhat silly user experience that you have to be oh, yeah. cl- uh, clicking those two buttons like constantly, right? Um, so we all know if anyone who has used a hardware wallet um, knows it's not a good user experience. But um, we trade off user experience there for the safety and security. So that's on the hardware wallet side. And then on the software hardware wall, uh, hot wallet side, uh, they're really convenient. They're sitting on your phone. Um, they're an application that sits on top of the operating system. But because it is software, it does not bypass the operating system. So it does have some secure vulnerability that we've seen that people is, um, sometimes get their wallets drained. Uh, we've seen a couple um, wallet issues. So there, there is a inherent um, risk that's built into a hotware, wa- a hot, um, a hot wallet that's backed by software only. So that's the your spe- that's your choices, and there's like nothing in between, right? And what the problem we're trying to solve is how do we get the convenience of a hot wallet, but also afford people as close to the um, hardware wallet level of security as possible. And that is, we would put those two together and the solution is a C-Vault. So what the C-Vault is, it is, um, so your keys are actually um, securely uh, derived and also stored in the on the chip. We take advantage of this thing called a secure enclave. Um, it's part of the chip. Um, that's a basically a separate operating small operating system that's sitting as, apart from the Android operating system that um, that keeps your uh, that stores your keys. So what what that does it is it kind of creates a separation from the Android operating system. So whenever you're actually inside the seat uh, vault, the operating system, in this case, Android, cannot get access to any of your input or interactions with Seatball. So the example I always like to get a give is if you're in your Seatball and you try to take a screenshot, there is something on the screen, but you actually, it will show up just completely blank because the operating system cannot read what's on your Seatball and also disguises all of your, um, your keyboard stroke inputs. So the operating system cannot get, get access to that. So it is separated on a operating system level. And it's pretty similar. The technology behind it is pretty similar to what a ledger would use. It's a, a secure enclave. And it's actually nothing net new in terms of chip technology. It's just like no um, other company has done it at a large scale to actually use that part of the chip to secure your uh, your private keys. And we work that, we build that onto the chip that we use for Saga. So that is what Seavolt. It's basically 
hardware-backed security for your private keys, and now you can take it with you. And the other thing I wanted to talk about, so we talked about Solana Mobile Stack being uh, C Vault and um, DApp Store, right? So those are the two pieces that are consumer-facing. Then there's actually a third piece that we don't really talk to consumers about, but I think it's worth mentioning here, which is uh, um, the mobile wallet adapter. We call MWA. So this is a piece of tool that's really only relevant for developers. So what that thing does, what what mobile wallet uh, adapter does, it is essentially SDK that a wallet developer can use to connect with the seed vault. And then, um, so then any wallet can actually ask the seed vault for a transaction. So the, um, the private key is not stored in the hot wallet, but in the seed vault, but any wallet that's integrated with um, mobile wallet adapter can ask the seed vault for a transaction uh, signature. So that's one side. And the other side of uh, mobile wallet adapter is actually the DAP side. So they have a, another set of SDK that they can integrate to. And by, and by doing that, what that does is, you know, currently if it's a, a web app, each app will have to integrate with a single um, wallet one by one, right? And it's usually through DeepLink. However, if they integrate with mobile wallet adapter, they only have to do that once, and then they get access to all the mobile wallets or wallets that are integrated with mobile wallet adapter. So it gives the wallets and the dApps the piece of not having to um, store the private keys, but also gives both sides the easiness of just connecting once, and then um, boom, they're actually compatible with all the different wallets. So that's um, that, that's DAPS or a mobile wallet adapter. Uh, so uh, obviously a lot of thought has gone into this to create the experience as seamlessly as possible. You know, all the things that we know and hate <laughs> about Web3, you know, the, 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 the lack of ease of use, um, you know, having to whip out that hardware wallet, all those things. Tell me a little bit about uh, how does this actually translate into the user experience, right? You talk, we talked a lot about the security piece of the seed vault and, you know, the, these, these technology components that, that clearly have a lot of thought behind them. But how do they actually okay. translate into a seamless, clinging user experience? Like walk me through a, whatever use case you want to use for how this actually translates to a user coming in and having a much better experience than they currently have <laughs> with Web3. Yeah, that's a good question. And um, the the simplest one is a simple transaction that I always like to use as an example. It's swapping. Let's take uh, Jupiter as an example. So, for example, before um, Mobile Wallet Adapter and Saga, what you would need to do to um, swap any token on Jupiter is you would either go to their, if you're on desktop, you go to their website you connect your uh, your plugin, and then you do it on their website. But in that use case, you have to do it on your desktop. And then if you want to do it on mobile, what you essentially would have to do is you would go into Phantom and then go into their embedded browser, type into Jupyter, get onto their website, connect your wallet, then choose the, the, um, the transaction, right? So there sometimes you would uh, choose this swap transaction. And sometimes if you're using a wallet, uh, you're using a wallet that's not Phantom or something else, you might hit dead ends or you have to connect your wallet multiple times. Um, sometimes things just go wrong and we've all ran to those dead ends in the past. However, Jupyter, uh, they are a dApp on the dApp store. So you can just uh, download the, the Jupyter app and then connect your wallet once and then ask for that um, and then put in the swap that you want to do. And then essentially you kit, you click confirm and then Jupyter will ask um, whatever wallet you're uh, connected with. And the wallet will ask the seat wall for a transaction signature and the seat wall will ask for your fingerprint um, and ask you to confirm that you do indeed want to do this transaction. And then we'll spit out a confirmed uh, transaction signature, 
and then we'll feed back through um, the wallet to uh, Jupiter, and Jupiter will do the transaction uh, swapping on the back end, and they were done. And the whole thing can be done in five to six seconds. Um, so that is the kind of user experience and the process that we're trying to simplify here. Uh, we, you don't have to go into a specific app to access it through essentially a mobile web and then go through all the pain of doing it on mobile web and then have to trend, uh, sometimes you have to confirm in different ways or it doesn't go through. We want to just eliminate, eliminate all of that confusion and pain points and make it just how you would in Web2 interact with the app. And then a lot of times we, we use biometric confirmation. So in this case, you can actually just use your fingerprint to sign for your transaction. So that's huge. Uh, you know, when when that works, um, that would be a huge reduction in friction uh, for for the consumer use case. So I, I absolutely 100. percent I'm incredibly supportive of what you guys are doing there. But um, the 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 other side of this is obviously you need those apps or DApps um, yep. for consumers to be interacting with. So that's a perfect segue to kind of it's almost like two two sides of a coin, right? You've got the security side and the kind of the the, the reduction of the friction that we all know and hate from from Web three. But then you also you need developers to be building. For these for sure. these use cases, right? Uh, otherwise, you're still stuck with a mobile web experience um, without these actual you know native DApps. So, tell me a little bit more about uh, how have you envisioned the DApp store? Um, what are the and I won't give you too many questions here. Um, I'm famous for giving lots of questions. Um, so, uh, what are, what are your kind of, what are your goals for the DApp store? Uh, what have you launched with today? Mm-hmm. And then, kind of, what's your vision for the future? Uh, what the DAP store would be if fully realized to its kind of end state. Yeah, so I think let's start with why we built the DAP store. And I think um, the DAP store really has two groups of audience. One is the developers and one's the users. And I think there are two, the benefits for the two groups of audience are slightly different. So let's start with the developers. So on the developer side, we're all very familiar that the web two, the current two large web two um, app application stores are just inherently not compatible with the web three um, business models. The simplest one is Magic Eden, right? Someone sells a NFT on Magic Eden for let's say a thousand dollars. Magic Eden cannot turn around and charge them thirty percent to give to the Apple App Store because they don't own the NFT. And then the user is not going to give them another 30% to give to Apple. So it just breaks down the the, uh, Web2 business models when it comes to Web3 use cases. So that's one. So the the, uh, App Store tax is a big reason. And the other one you already touched on a little bit in your intro, which is they have just one very ambiguous um, apps, Web3 app approval process. We all saw that um, uh, a couple apps like Uniswap had issues getting on the Apple store. Um, our really close friends, um, Dialect, they've every time they submit a new iteration of their uh, app to the Apple store, they essentially just say, fingers crossed, hopefully nothing goes wrong. And if something goes wrong, we'll deal with that. So it's just incredibly ambiguous what their um, application store policies are for Web3 apps. And then there are just certain things that they're straight up just not friendly, like the 30%. Um, anything, anytime people want to buy something, they want to take 30%. And then that cannot work. So for the developers, they need a new way of distributing their experiences and their apps. So that is first thing. And the second thing is for users. And um, the primary reason we built the DApp Store for the users is the user experience. So we already touched on this, but uh, right now users hit dead ends. They have to pull out their computers or they have to um, go into a mobile web um, browser to interact with their favorite apps. Um, but our goal for um, the DApp Store is for all of their favorite apps to be a standalone app in the DApp Store so they can um, download it, just interact with it, 
and um, don't have to put too much um, mental bandwidth on it. On it, quite honestly, you don't want to think about it. You kind of just pick up your phone,、um, mindlessly open up an app and look at some things, right? We don't think too much on our in our Web two life about do I have to like on this one? Do I have to pull out my computer? Do I have to plan ahead for this NFT mint? We do that in Web three. In any other area in our life, we just mindlessly do it on our phone, on our phone without a ton of planning. So that is where we want to get to in terms of user experience on the DApp Store. So,、um, so that's why we built the DApp Store. And then you asked about where we want to get to for the DApp Store. So I I talked about this a little bit, but one is user experience, and two, three、uh, two is that we just want it to be a much better、um, distribution channel for our、um, developers. So once you have a DApp Store that doesn't charge fees, right now we don't charge any fees except for the transaction fees on Solana, and then you have a better、um, a store with、uh, more clear policy publishing policies, and then you have a store that、um, is crypto friendly. Now all of a sudden, you,、uh, developers can explore new business models with their、um, with their apps, and they can establish direct. Um, financial relationship with their users. Now the sky is a limit because the intermediary is not there anymore, and there is no、um, gatekeepers trying to protect their walled gardens. So that's where we want to get long term is for our DApp Store to be the best distribution、uh, machine for the the new、um, DApp builders. We're already seeing this happen a little bit. So a lot of the current DApps that are coming to our DApp Store are the existing Solana projects,、um, kind of fitting their existing experiences onto a mobile app, and that is kind of、uh, the first step we're thinking. And then the next step is if you think back to like two thousand four, two thousand five, when mobile, the Web two revolution was just happening. A lot of new builders, new developers came in and looked at the phone and started thinking mobile first. And this is kind of where we're seeing Web three、um, starting to take off. There are a lot of builders coming and start thinking, okay, now finally the mobile experience is unlocked for the phone. What can I build? Because only a sudden they get access to all of these.、Um, Sensors that are on the phone, and you only get access to those sensors when your、uh, when your application. So those are the camera, the geolocation, and for gaming specifically, like the、um, the sensors that track the angles of the phone or the velocity of the phone. So a lot of gaming、uh, use cases can be unlocked, and then you can actually tap into the on chain and、uh, crypto benefits of being a game on mobile. So we are really excited to see this next phase of、um, applications and games being developed. And who have you launched with so far?、Um, I understand you have a not a huge、uh, portfolio of DApps on on the Sagaphone yet. Obviously, you're only two, two weeks、um, old,、uh, at least for the public.、Um, but who have you launched with? And uh, uh, you know what's what's coming next, immediate next. Um. Uh. So yes. Um. I, I won't say it's a huge catalog yet. So on launch day, we had fourteen applications, but the fourteen applications actually span a pretty healthy、uh, range of categories. So we had wallets, we had DeFi applications, we had NFT, social, and game.、Uh, one game on launch day. So that was fourteen. Um, but what I always compare it to is when the first generation of iPhone came out,、uh, they had 15 apps on the iPhone on day one. So we we're pretty on par with iPhone when it just came out. So,、um, and when I say the day one it came out is I use the day、um, April 13th when we actually launched the phone. So on that day we have 14. And I'm happy to say that now we are、um, a little over a month after launch. We already have over 30 DApps on the on the Solana DApp Store. So this has the number has already doubled, 
And we do have um, quite a nice pipeline of dApps that are still in the queue of being reviewed. Um, One of our bottleneck is actually our speed of reviewing because we're a pretty small team. So I am actually checking my dApp store, if not every day, every other day, trying to see what new apps actually came onto that app store and I can try out. So the if a month and we're already doubled and we have a lot of inbound interest from um, Solana projects wanting to build for mobile. So I'm really, really excited to see what's coming next um, on the DAP store. Um, and you, you asked about immediately next what's coming, right? So um, one thing I, I, I think you would probably specifically be interested in the gaming side of things. So right now we have one game on the DAP store, which is um, Alpha uh, Alpha League Race Alpha League Racing, and then we actually have two more uh, DAPs that are uh, two more games that are part of our welcome pack. So one is Genopets. Um, it's a game that got pretty big on Solana last year. And also the other is uh, Honeyland. I think they are um, going to be uh, live on the DAP store pretty soon. So those are the two really soon imminent ones. But we're also having conversations with a lot of gaming projects on um, on whether they're already existing on other platforms or uh, net new uh, Solana gaming projects. So um, the existing ones like Aurori, Step In, we're having conversations with them. And then there are some net new gaming studios that are building on Solana and they're really interested in getting their phone onto the Dapp Store. So um, lots of things happening, um, but every week we, we just have net new um, applications that's being published onto the Solana Dapp Store. And it's a really exciting time to see the store kind of getting populated and the, each category just grows longer every week. Oh, that's great to hear. Um, and, you know, obviously you've also announced a, uh, I think it's a $10 million fund um, to mm-hmm. help support third-party developers building for the saga. Um, Correct. You know, ob- obviously <laughs> you want to spur more DAP developers to, to come to you. And it sounds like you already have some inbound interest. Um, what is this $10 million fund for? What kinds of uh, developers are you looking to fund with this? Um, how much have you deployed if you're able to share any details? Yeah, so great question. So the $10 million fund is actually a grant fund. So it's not a investment fund per se. So we just give the grants to the teams um, that we do work with them on milestones, but it's not that we will take a stake in their company. Um, So the type of company or projects that we first and foremost look to fund are the ones that focus on um, dev tooling. So we want to fund those projects that are build things that can be used by a wide variety of teams that can kind of raise all boats. So if they're building tooling, they're building SDK, um, they're building open source tools that can enable developers to build on top of the mobile ecosystem, that's the ideal type of projects that we want to back. So we're dedicating these funds um, to these developers first, but we also understand that there's only so much tooling you can do. And then most of the team are looking to build um, direct to consumer projects, right? So um, a lot of the time we would fund teams that are one, they are building um, direct to consumer projects, but there are certain components of their project that can be used for other teams. And we would write a grant to a team like that to help them bring that part of their project to market. So the one of the beauty beauty of Web3 is composability, right? So if some team already built something that can read, for example, SDK that's related to Solana Mobile Stack, we don't want other teams to um, recreate this effort. So we would write a check for that. But also... Uh, we w- we are now considering funding also teams that have uh, proven product market fit that can heavily leverage the mobile stack and to create unique Saga only experiences. So we're also considering teams like that. So um, it has to be specific, unique and uh, sorry, specifically mobile and Saga only. So um, those teams will also now be considered. But uh, first and foremost, we want to find those teams and kind of elevate um, all boats, raise all boats. 
Uh, in terms of how much we've deployed, um, that is a figure that we cannot um, share at the moment. But I can say that we still have a healthy figure left. So if teams think that they might fit that description that I just give, or they want to just chat with us to see if they um, qualify for the fund, uh, we're happy to connect. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Um, and a- actually, for the sake of our listeners, who many I'm sure are interested, uh, can you share the, we'll put it in the show notes, can you share the uh, the details of uh, how to get in touch? Yeah, so uh, for me, I am Laura Shen, very simply, on um, all the platforms, Laura Shen on um, Twitter, Laura Shen on Telegram. So uh, feel free to just reach out to me there. Um, the best person to get in touch with, his name is Mark Cavallo. He leads our ecosystem growth. So he's a person who actually reviews all the grants, pro, uh, grants applications. Um, and he's a kind of the first person that a lot of our um, projects talk to, um, whether it's uh, wanting to build or whether they're looking for funding. He's the right person. I don't have his um, contact info off the top of my head, but I'm happy to um, send that to you later so we can put it in the show notes. Awesome. All right. We'll put those in the show notes. Um, let's get back to gaming. Obviously, we're we're the Novic Gaming Podcast um, and uh, want to just kind of uh, dive a little bit deeper into, uh, you know, what gaming means for the saga, uh, both for, for you as a, as a company, um, but then also for the consumer experience, ultimately. Um, uh, you know, gaming is driving two thirds of the the Web two yeah. mobile app store revenues, uh, probably higher if you account for advertising and things like that. And if you look at adjacent uh, technologies, and uh, it would not surprise me in the slightest um, if that would also hold true in Web three. And of course, Anatoly is a big fan of gaming. Yeah. He's said gaming is one of the big on ramps uh, or potential on ramps for for you know the mass market into into Web3. And I personally, as a game developer, <laughs> happen mm-hmm. to uh, believe in that too. So I, I want to dig a little bit deeper, one layer deeper at least, uh, to understand how you guys are thinking about gaming for the saga. Um, are, are you prioritizing it in any way? Uh, is it more of a kind of wait and see who comes to you? Is it a case of tapping into the existing Solana gaming ecosystem versus bringing in new developers who might be able to tap into some of the the hardware components like you, you were mentioning, you know, the 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 position of the screen and you know some of the things that you can't do on web, uh, certainly on mobile web. Very curious to hear your thoughts on uh, any and all uh, of, of what I just um, presented to you there in that very long question. Yeah, that's a great question. So I am uh, fully aligned with you there that gaming is probably one of the best on-ramps to anything mobile. Um, so we definitely think that gaming is going to be one of the biggest use cases and where a lot of the breakthroughs are going to come from. If we think back um, last bull run, it was Step In. That was one of the, the biggest um, onboarding um, vehicles for Solana, right? People don't even realize that they're interacting with the blockchain. They just love the game. So we're looking for those games that have just amazing gameplay, um, people are just not interacting with it necessarily because it's a blockchain game. People are just playing it because it's a great game. And we're looking for games, breakout games like that. So we think that um, mobile and gaming are kind of a perfect match because game games sit, they sit at this intersection of ownership and virtual economy. And then they can actually uniquely utilize a lot of the things that blockchain and blockchain gaming can afford them. And then they can, um, so far we have have some games on the DAP store. And then like the ones that I mentioned, they're either imminently releasing on DAP store, like Honeyland, which is a first and foremost, very Web3 native game, or Genopads who um, have their on-chain um, portion built on web, but their game is more like a, a a raising game of your pet. So we're looking for a lot of these pro- similar projects to utilize more of the on-chain portion. And now that we have kind of solved the security and user experience part, we want more of the more traditional mobile game designers 
to actually consider building for on-chain games or Web3 games because they don't have to worry about creating new keys or new wallets for their users. They can just do what they do best, which is build the game, right? So they don't have to worry about interacting with wallets because we have mobile wallet adapter. They don't have to worry about custodying their keys. Um, they can just interact with the seed vault. We want them to come and tap into what Web3 does best is um, self-custody, real ownership of your assets, and also build an economy that's on-chain. Because right now, um, all the economy is kind of managed on the back end by the gaming publisher. And now we're looking looking at a migration to an economy that's more managed by the community. So like I said, we're looking for these breakout uh, use cases, and I'm really excited about those um, net new projects that we're seeing kind of starting to reach out to us. Um, essentially, we're hoping to find that flappy bird version for Web3. I think that will be a, a use case that will get most people excited about on-chain games. And in terms of um, BizDev, so we, are, we already have incredibly strong uh, gaming ecosystem. And the Solana Foundation has a lot of um, um, lots of connection with the gaming uh, ecosystem. So we are um, kind of riding on their success, and we're currently talking to a lot of teams that are existing on um, on Solana and trying to get them to onto our uh, DApp Store as a first step. But we are definitely also exploring relationships and introductions with net new teams. They're just starting to look at Web3 Gaming because some of these key pain points are now finally solved for them. So that this all sounds great, um, but as a you know as a game developer, obviously we want to go where the audience is, right? And you mentioned Steppen, uh, and they were actually in the news today. I don't know if you saw. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, hoping to do an episode with them soon, where Apple seems to be loosening some of their um, NFT-related rules. And, and the big news today, today is uh, Monday, May twenty-second. We're recording this. Um, the big news today for Steppen was that apparently Apple has approved uh, some NFT trading inside the app without having to, you know, link out and do the trading outside. I don't know how. I just saw the news literally before we started recording, but that that is big news. Um, and so I wanted to just ask you a little bit about this kind of the the juxtaposition between going after the crypto native early adopters. And I know that you guys are on the record as saying like, hey, this is kind of your first step into this world. This is your early adopter audience. They are going to be crypto natives who care about a frictionless um, Web3 experience for what they're already doing, probably, right? Um, but then how do you go from there to the, to the mass market? Um, and how do you then attract, you know, you need to get that flywheel going for game developers to come in mm -hmm. and be attracted to like, oh, wow, the Sagaphone has hundreds of thousands, millions of users. Um, they're high value users. They understand Web3 or they're engaging with it in some way, shape or form, even if they don't know it necessarily. Um, how do you go to that mass market piece? That's that's the big question. I you know, and that's I'm sure the big question you guys have internally, too, which is you've built a great phone, a thousand dollar Android device. It has Web3 capabilities built in. You have this crypto-native audience that's definitely ready um, to adopt this. But how big is that audience, and how do you go from there to the mass market? Yeah, that's a great question. We get asked that a lot. Is like, who's a key audience of Saga, right? Like, how do you sell it to mass market? The core Solana audience gets it. They understand the pain point. And then how do you kind of go from this one to a hundred or a thousand, right? So let me just start by saying what our long-term, long, long-term goal is. And I already kind of alluded to it, which is we think self-custody is a right. Uh, you don't want to download an app and you get some rewards on it. And if the company goes out of business, you lose everything. That is not the ideal situation. What we want is to afford the benefit of self-custody to at least a billion people. So that is a long, long-term goal. Um, but we can't do it alone. So like you said, it's an ecosystem. It's a flywheel. And the flywheel is not going to grow from this big, um, like my, my hand size, to like huge in one day. So we have to kind of iterate and do the right thing and let the flywheel start to turn. So what I would like to say is we have the 30,000 foot view, but we also have the right in front of us, 
what is the right thing to do and what we should focus on doing. So that is what Saga and our team choose to do. And that's a first step. So what Saga is in our core audience are the crypto native users who want to get that better mobile experience. And that is actually a deliberate choice that is by design for our team. So we understand there is a pain point for these people and we want to solve this pain point for these people. And we want to do it right by our audience. And our current audience is the crypto native people who want to self-custody. So the trajectory, if I were to have a crystal ball right now, is the mobile adoption um, for crypto use cases will grow with the crypto audience and the crypto users. And it's kind of a flywheel. So the more crypto users there are, there are more people who understand the benefit of self-custody and it will start turning and it's like a snowball. But we are at the point that we, we are doing a essentially a proof of concept is we need to prove that um, there are people who want the um, seat vault, a secure element um, that's custodying their key on their phone so they can use it on the go. And so far, the early signs we're getting is people are overwhelmingly positive about having the secure um, key custody on their phone. So that's one part. And the second part is we are, again, hearing a lot of people wanting to natively interact with their um, applications just on the phone. Um, people are saying it's this is the beginning, this is early, but they are happy to see that the DApp Store are getting populated. So how we will, we so we are starting that flywheel, that churning wheel to get more and more people understand the problem. And then we, uh, we get the solutions um, designed for them. So we are actually, the next step for us is to go on a listening journey of our users, of our early adopters, to understand what they liked about the phone, what they think can be improved about the phone. And then that way we actually um, make sure we design the right product for the problems that we're trying to solve. So we're not going to grow from a crypto focused product to a mass market product overnight. And we will get there by making sure that every step of the way we make the right decisions. So if I were to say, I know exactly what are the right steps to get there for mass uh, mass adoption, the entire crypto uh, industry would have already been there. But I think what we can do is to make sure that the next two, three, four steps we're making the right decisions. We show the value propositions of Web3 and then improve the user experience all at the same time, then the um, the flywheel will start turning. But we have a 10,000 10, foot view and then we have the next day, next week, next month's view of what are the right decisions we need to make sure that we make to get us there eventually. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Yeah, the, for the flywheel to start working, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you're not going to attract uh, all the game developers in the world overnight unless you have a lot of users and you're not going to get the users unless you have, you know, killer use cases and you got to nail that thing that makes you special compared to any other phone out there. And for right now, that seems like that's the, you know, it's the SMS, right? That's a lot of mobile stack um, that, that mm -hmm. sets you apart. So I, I totally buy that. Um, that kind of leads me to the question, uh, you know, it's early still, obviously, uh, but you have been in pre-order, uh, uh, you've been available for pre-order for, for a while now, for about a year. Um, are you sharing how many devices have you sold? Uh, I have a couple of data points that um, are out there. I think there was an interview with one of your colleagues, Stephen Labor. I think he went on the record as saying uh, high single digits of thousands. And I know that Anatoly is on the record from about a year ago um, as saying that he'd be happy if you are able to ship tens of thousands of units in the first year. Um, how many have you sold if you're sharing that information? And um, you know how does that compare to your expectations? Yeah, so we've been asked this uh, quite a few times. We're not currently sharing the exact numbers of how many were sold. And there are dashboards out there trying to track ourselves. But the thing is, we have, um, we, we are, our storefront is on Shopify, but we also take both um, credit card and on-chain payment. So, so far, none of the dashboards that I saw are actually accurate. 
But uh, labor is correct. Stephen, labor is correct that we're in the thousands right now. Um, but we are very well on track to the goal that Anatoly had set for us. Um, but what I would say is, um, we, like you said, we opened our public sales on May 8th. But we've been in pre-order since um, last June. And then we opened up for pre-orders to complete their orders on the day that we released the phone, which is April 13th. And between April 13th and May 8th, we actually sold out of the inventory that we had. So we had very strong demand out of the group of people who showed early interest in the phone. And we actually had to um, put the phone on backwater for some regions of the world because we just didn't have enough units um, to sell to them. And some people got uh, slightly upset that their phones were not um, deliver- not getting shipped out uh, right away because we were on back order. So, so far, we've got very good um, responses from the core Solana audience. They understand um, the value proposition of the phone. And then now we're getting a lot of feedback from people. So we are trying to make sure that um, we are iterating our product um, for this core group of audience and then in terms of public order, uh, we have gotten a lot of people kind of getting interested about the phone for various reasons. So um, here I want to talk about something um, that we did, which is very different than any other application store out there has ever done. Um, so for, for the two larger application stores, you kind of just go in there, download your app, um, whatever you're looking for, and then you kind of just start using the app. For the Solana App Store, we introduced something called a Saga Genesis token. So that this this is a um, soulbound device specific token that you claim. So you mint a token while you are setting up your um, App Store. And this soulbound token, what it does, it is a becomes an on chain identifier uh, for any app developer to identify you as a Saga user. So this token cannot be transferred and cannot be burned by the user. They have to contact us to actually burn the token. So what this token becomes, it will long-term form the rewards platform for Saga and Saga users. So um, out of the box, we have something called a welcome pack. So they will get a $20 USDC from Solana Mobile and then 0.01 Sol from us to cover a couple of transactions. So they're not starting from a cold wallet. A problem we see is every time someone sets up a wallet, you have to get a tiny bit of a soul in there to get you going. So we're trying to solve that problem for you. But the more interesting part, what I'm seeing is a lot of DAP builders are really interested in that program. So for example, Dialect, as you once you set up your DAP store and you download Dialect, you can actually set up your dialect handle and then claim a uh, Saga specific sticker pack. So only people who have a Saga and a Saga Genesis token can claim that sticker pack. So that is one example, but people are, we're getting a lot of interest from different um, app builders wanting to offer um, rewards for our users. And we're seeing this becoming a different business model for an app store and for um, how app builders and app developers can um, establish relationships with their uh, users or potential users. So if you, you see that some app is actually offering a reward, it gives you incentive to download that app, claim that reward, and try out their app. So this is something that we don't see any other app store doing. So Saga, we are trying. We, we like to call it the phone that keeps giving. So this is the first mobile product that you get rewarded just by using your phone. And the difference between a traditional Web2 app is if you do get rewarded, the rewards tend to just stay in that app. It's not transferable. You don't actually self-custody it, right? But for example, the dialect stickers, once you claim that sticker pack, the stickers actually show up in your wallet app. So you become a true owner of those stickers. So that is what we are trying to build differently for our DAP store. And then um, to circle back on something that I said earlier, 
um, people are getting really excited about different things. So one of the things that we're doing is a, um, a exclusive mint for Clano. So Clano, for the people who are not as familiar, it's a blue chip NFT project on Solana. And they're some of the best storytellers and IP builders um, in all of Web3. So we're partnering with them to offer Saga users an exclusive mint for a 2,000-piece collection of Clano. And it's a limited edition and that only Saga users are eligible to mint. And the mint price is um, zero. So it's free for Saga users. So people are... Different people, um, people from different parts of the ecosystem are getting excited because of the new use cases and new type of potential that um, a mobile um, form factor, a mobile platform can give people. Yeah, for those that don't know, Klinos are, I believe you're referring to the Klinosaurs. Um, they Correct. are very, very cute, um, very cuddly looking dinosaurs, uh, clay, clay motion or made out of clay. Uh, animated uh, really stand out among NFTs, especially if you're you know, familiar with your, your air quotes, traditional 10,000 PFP type projects. Uh, the, the Klanos for short or Klanosaurus uh, are very cute. So put a little plug in for those guys. Uh, they're doing a great job of building that, that IP out. Um, okay. So we've, for obvious reasons, um, because you are Solana after all, um, and you have the Solana blockchain, um, totally understand uh, starting with Solana, but obviously it is just for the Solana ecosystem at this moment in time, the Saga phone. So you, you, you need to be in Sol uh, in order to actually get the full benefit, the full value that you're talking about here. Um, and I had a question about cross-chain. I, you know, I, I, obviously you would love for Solana to be the outright winner uh, in the, the blockchain wars. Of course, of course you would. Um, but in a world where that doesn't happen and we're in a multi-chain world where we have you know, Ethereum, and we've got other layer twos uh, like Polygon. Um, you know, we've got Solana as its own layer one. They're all different. Um, but, you know, in the future, I personally foresee, uh, you know, a multi-chain future. Um, and so I'm just curious to hear, how are you thinking about that with the Saga phone? Uh, are you even entertaining the notion that there would be a cross-chain component to the Saga? Is that even technically possible? Um Tell me your thoughts on what does it mean if we are living in a multi-chain world, cross-chain world, what does the saga need to be in order to deliver the full value to somebody who is like, you know, yeah, I know Solana, but my NFTs are on ETH or, you know, I, my use case is the best use case for me is Polygon for whatever reason, right? Um, every chain has their own different flavor and it has its own different capabilities and it's better for certain things and not as good for other things. So my thoughts, or sorry, your thoughts on, on multi-chain future and how does the saga fit into that? Yeah, I appreciate that point of view. And um, so I think there are two parts of that answer. One is immediate and one is more long-term. So the immediate answer is... Um, for any um, ETH DAP that's e existing today, they can submit their DAP as long as it's an APK on Android to our DAP store. And as long as they comply with our DAP store policy, um, I don't see a reason why would not they would not be able to get listed on our DAP store. Like for example, if MetaMask wants to submit to the Solana DAP store and be listed there, they can do it. Um, However, what that what gets a little more complex, but technically definitely possible, is the hardware wallet part, the hardware um, security um, key storage part. Because for you to actually be able to uh, access the seed vault, um, the secure element, the OEM, the phone manufacturer, actually has to code it onto the chip. So you have to work with a hardware manufacturer to um, actually make that a possibility, a reality. However, the long-term answer, and I've said this a couple of times and we really seriously mean it, is we want people to have the benefit of self-custody. So Solana Saga is a first step in that direction. And if we do believe in a future that self-custody is a right, we want to see every phone in the world to come with that capability. Because if every phone in the world can have the capability, or at least the, a lot of the smartphones have the capability of recognizing your 
biometrics as the way to unlock your phone, the capability of offering a self-custody solution at the chip level, at the hardware level, is there. So the long-term goal is for as many phones as possible in the world to offer a secure element um, key custody on the phone. Um, so Solana Mobile Saga is the first step. However, with that said, um, so technically, it's definitely possible. You just have to have a OEM actually help you work that onto the chip level. However, we are, like you said, we are Solana and we're Solana Maxis here. And we want to see Solana succeed. And we, the first step uh, is we want to make the experience right for our Solana core Solana users. Um, so that's why we're very focused on making the Solana blockchain experience uh, as good as possible. But also there is a part that I have not talked about so far is we've spoke at length about why mobile is right for um, Web3, but we never talked about why Solana is the right place for a mobile application, uh, for a mobile platform. And I think it really has a lot to do with the the characteristics of the Solana blockchain. Because um, so, so Solana blockchain, it's fast, it's low cost, and it's very, very scalable, right? So if you are on your phone, uh, and I'm holding my saga here, you're not going to be staring at your phone for five minutes waiting for a transaction to clear. We all know how we use our phone. We bounce around different apps. We're not going to stare at one application, put it down to wait for it to clear. Um, on Solana, it clears within a couple of seconds. So that is one of the reasons why we think Solana is a right chain. And two is it's just very low cost to do the transactions. Um, so we have this uh, first party application called Minty Fresh. And that's an application that a lot of people kind of blew a lot of people's mind. So what it does, it's actually not that complicated. You take a photo on your phone and you mint it right within that application, that app to, to on chain. And the cost is 0.012 SOL. So that's a very low cost NFT mint experience. Um, so the low cost nature of Solana actually affords a better mobile experience. The second reason, and the third is real quick, is just the scalability. Uh, for example, we recently launched um, state compression. And um, one of the first use cases of this uh, compressed NFT is um, in uh, dialect as the stickers. So you can't, and they don't charge anyone for minting those stickers, but if those stickers are at a really high cost minting cost, they cannot send out thousands or tens of thousands. And I think they just crossed a million this past week. So like they, any applications cannot afford to do that at a mass scale. So that's why we think Solana as a blockchain is actually ripe for mobile adoption and a good mobile experience. So yes, um, long-term, we want um, the, the, uh, the mobile experience to be multi-chain, but here we're at Solana and Solana Mobile, we're very, very focused on making the Solana mobile experience as good as possible. Yeah, and that's totally fair. Um, you, you know, it was, you got to start somewhere. And if you are Solana, if you are the blockchain, you should probably start with Solana um, and not with Ethereum or Bitcoin. <laughs> so no. That I, I also <laughs> just really think the user experience right. is the Solana user experience actually is very well fitted for a mobile platform. Yeah. For, for quick, high transaction volume, cheap. Um, so, okay, absolutely. Well, um, we are just about out of time here. So Laura, um, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the pod uh, today. Um, I know you've been very, very busy with the launch, so I appreciate you taking some time talking to the uh, the Novic uh, Gaming Podcast listeners and uh, really enjoyed hearing, genuinely enjoyed hearing about the saga, what it can do, where you guys want to take it. Um, and, you know, hardware is hard, uh, as the, the famous saying goes. Uh, but, you know, fortune favors the bold. And I wish you the best of luck and continued launch um, scaling up the business, both on the hardware side and the software side. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
All right. And also a big thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, We'll be back next week, as always, with more interviews, more insights, and more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web3 and gaming more broadly. So until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send me questions, guest recommendations, and comments. My email is nico at novic.co. And you can find me on Twitter at NicoTheFin. DMs are open. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, level up your insights with our premium research platform, Novic Pro, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.